But I would ask you to return to, to Acts chapter 8. We're continuing our study of Acts 8. Last week, we uh, saw how the church moved from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria, that the, uh, God had allowed this persecution to come upon, really, the, the, uh, the Greek-speaking Christians, and uh, that, that persecution came upon them, forced them to leave Jerusalem to go into uh, the region of Judea and Samaria. And, and that's a pretty interesting little move that happened there because uh, the Samaritans were not really well-liked by the Jews. Samaritans, as most of you know, were half Jew, half Gentile. And so people had a built-in prejudice towards them. And, and if you were thinking about expanding the gospel, uh, Samaria would not be one of the regions if you were a, a devout Jew who had placed your faith in Christ. It would be a difficult move to go into that region. And uh, so God set it up so that uh, he would allow a conflict to arise in the church so that Greek-speaking leaders would emerge that could then go, have a little less issues, and make their way into Samaria. So you can see the wisdom of God in allowing the problems to come unfold that allowed the mission to continue. Now today, we're just jumping right into uh, the account of Philip, who was one of the Greek-speaking leaders who went into Samaria. And we're going to look at a very specific account dealing with a guy by the name of Simon. And we're going to see this very unique situation unfold. And what we're going to see unfold is the fact that, that as they make their way into Samaria, they're now going into a cross-cultural setting. They're leaving the confines of Jerusalem. They're going into a, a people group that think differently that, that have a different worship system, different uh, uh, spiritual issues are alive in this place. And, uh, and, and as the gospel expands, it's expanding in a more complex area. One of the things that, that evangelism does do is that if we're really seeking to, to make the name of Christ known, it's going to push us out of our comfort zone. It's going to push us out of the, the boxes that we like to live in, that we set up around ourselves and force us into dealing with situations that we're just not used to dealing with. This is one of those situations. We're going to unpack it here today, and uh, let's just see this. You, I have a very simple outline. You can see the first thing we're looking at today is Simon. Philip now is in Samaria. He's preaching the gospel to Samaritans, and he comes across this man named Simon. Look at verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city, and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Now this is a very unique account, because in the Bible this is where Simon shows up, and this is it. And some have asked, why in the world... Is this strange story here with this guy, Simon, who was a magician. We're going to see him getting baptized, then we're going to see Peter rebuking him. Why is this story here? Well, a couple of reasons why. First thing you need to realize is that even though you might not know a whole lot about Simon, the original readers of this letter would have known a lot about Simon because he was a very well-known man. He was so well-known that he actually even made a presentation in front of the Roman Senate because his magic was so well-known. This guy had an ability to do things. A, you know, some would suggest it was a demonic ability to perform all kinds of unique magic tricks. One of the magic tricks that, that they say that he performed was that he, was, that he levitated. 
A couple of early ancient historians say the way he died was that he levitated so high that somehow the magic stopped and he crashed down and died. That's one of the reports, which opens up a little silly joke that pops into my mind every time I read that story about Simon. I think his magic was his downfall, right? Get it? Okay. Thank you for laughing. You know, it's like the first time you've laughed at one of these jokes in a while. <laughs> Thank you. I needed that. Okay. But Simon, well known. The other thing he was really well known for, uh, for was the fact that, that, that he dealt with this thing called uh, Gnosticism. He was a proponent of Gnosticism. And, and he taught this, and he followed the, the apostle Peter around. And every time Peter would leave a place, he would come in behind, and he would say that he was associated with Peter because he was baptized by Philip. And, and, and he would go out and he would teach this Gnosticism. Now, the theory of Gnosticism, I'm just going to give it to you a little bit, just so you understand kind of the, the reason why this account is here. Gnosticism basically is this teaching that, that, that God de-evolved from divine essence and became a human and that was bad and the whole of history is god re-evolving back into divinity again and when he de-evolved two spirits came out of him one spirit called wisdom the other spirit called jehovah jehovah was the bad spirit jehovah created a bunch of things and everything that Jehovah created is bad. And that's why Gnosticism teaches that the material world is bad. It's a bad thing. But anything that is part of the wisdom of God is good. And so Gnostics have this element of like, we commune with God. We know God. God speaks to us. We know all of this stuff. And oftentimes when somebody comes to me and says, God spoke to me and he told me this. And I don't care what you say. Or I don't care if it's not even consistent with the Bible. God spoke to me. We'd say that's Gnostic. Gnostic theology. It's saying that you have some kind of insight into God, that he speaks to you apart from leadership, apart from the word, apart from other points of evaluation, that you've got this secret connection with God that no one else has. It's called Gnostic theology. Simon taught this. He went all over the place and he taught this stuff. The church had to deal with Simon because of the fact that he was so prominent and he would run around and and, uh, and share his Gnostic stuff, saying he was connected to the apostles. Luke has to tell the story that Simon wasn't part of the deal here. And that's what this is about. So let's go on with the story. Notice what happens. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed... He was amazed. So Philip is going around. Notice what he's preaching. The kingdom of God. God has a kingdom that is stronger than the kingdom of man. He's brought that kingdom to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, you can not only be saved, but you can be part of his kingdom and, and part of this, this, this great work where God's uniting all things in Jesus. And Philip's out there preaching this. And the Samaritans are going, we believe. We believe in Jesus. We believe he's the Messiah. We believe the kingdom's coming in Jesus. And so right away, as the practice of the church always was, you profess your faith, man, you got wet. Boom, they put you in the water and they dunked you. And so people are coming, we believe, and they're just dunking them. We believe, and they're dunking them. And this is just going on and on. And Philip, or Simon walks up, I believe. Great, boom, and they dunk them. Okay, so there. 
Now, Simon's following Philip around because Philip is not only preaching, he's doing these incredible miracles. And Simon's in awe because he's a magician. He's in awe of these miracles. Okay? But here's what's going on now. Now, this is where Simon is getting his credibilities. He's running around the church after this event happened, saying, I'm part of Philip. He baptized me. So now we're going to see what happened. This leads us now to the Spirit, our second point, the Spirit. Notice what happens, verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So now, the apostles, they're in Jerusalem. They hear that Samaria has trusted in this message that there's a kingdom coming and Jesus is the king. And so they send down Peter and John. What is going on here and why is there this delayed spirit? Two times in the book of Acts, you have this moment where the spirit's holding back, not coming right away. Two times, here and in chapter 10. Here, delays, we're dealing with Samaritans. In chapter 10, we're dealing with Gentiles. Two times it delays, one with the Samaritans, one with the Gentiles. Both times, an apostle has to show up. Why is that the case? I believe there's a few reasons why. Number one, I I think that the issue here is that as the gospel's expanding, the apostles need to trust that this really is happening. They need to be there. They need to affirm it. The church needs to affirm it. There's so much prejudice against Samaritans, so much prejudice against Gentiles. They need to actually have the apostles come and witness the moment so they can come back and give their stamp of approval. Yes, this is from God. When you go out into a cross-cultural element, one of the things that happens is that you get prejudices. It happens. And I think there's an element where the apostles are going to affirm this. But there's also a unique element here, too, in this story because Simon is such a prominent figure. He's such a prominent heretic who placed his faith in said he trusted Christ, I should say, that we need to see that the Spirit was not given to him. Instead, a curse was given to him. He was cursed by Peter, as we'll see. And so the apostles are coming. The Spirit delays so that Peter and John can witness this moment, give their stamp of approval. And so they come, and what happens? They see these Samaritans, and they pray for them, and the Spirit comes upon the Samaritans. And now the apostles are witnessing this. They're giving their thumbs up saying, this is from God. Okay? This is a powerful moment. Now let's look at what happens. Verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon sees this and says, wait a minute. I could use this. Remember, now Simon had two names. We saw it earlier in the text. He was called the power of God and great. Those were the two titles. Great was a title he gave to himself. And the power of God and great are what the people gave to him. Now, what what do those names mean? Well, when you put great up against the name, it's it's a way of honoring somebody. It's like most magnificent, you know, you're honorable, that kind of a thing. Great is sometimes used for for great leaders, Alexander the Great, right? 
And why are those names given? It's saying this person did something so notable, they're worthy of honor. So he's saying, I am great, I am magnificent. I come in with this sense of reverence around me and awe. And the people said it's because the power of God is upon him. Now the power of God was not upon him. The stuff that Simon did was different than the stuff that Philip did. Simon might be able to levitate, if that's true. I mean, I don't know, but let's just say that was true. But you know what Philip was doing? Philip was taking people whose legs never worked. And the Spirit of God was coming upon them, and their legs were straightening out, and suddenly they're walking without any physical therapy. Think about it. If you broke your leg and you, couldn't, you weren't walking on it for six months... You don't just get up and run a marathon after that, right? Muscles are weak. You're going back to physical therapy, and they're teaching you how to walk up steps and walk, you know, all that kind of stuff. Philip's going, be healed. The Spirit of God's coming upon people. Boom, and they're running. All kinds of crazy stuff. And this is the real power of God. Simon's looking at this going, I want that. And then when he sees the very Spirit come down, he says, I want to buy that. I'll give you money for that. Now his heart's been revealed. Notice what Peter says to him. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may be given to you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Luke's letting us know he's not on the right side of the story, right? (laughs) There's four things he says. There's four really direct things he says. The first one's going to sound like I'm swearing, but it's not. It's a legitimate statement. He's saying, may you and your money go to hell, right? He's not saying that flippantly. When you you tell someone to perish, it means I I want, may you and and all your cash burn is what he's saying. There's his leadoff statement. Then he says, you're not in the family of God. Your heart has been revealed as being wicked. So then the third thing, he says, repent and pray that God might forgive you for what's going on in your heart. Then the fourth thing, because you're bound up in sin. You're in bondage to sin, right? May you and your money go to hell. You're not in the family of God. Repent, because you're bound up in sin. I mean, Peter's making it clear. You're not with this. The motives of your heart are not for the glory of God. You're the one who gives yourself the title great. You're arrogant. You're prideful. You're not with God, right? Luke's telling us Simon's not the real deal. Don't follow his teaching. Verse 24. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. That is not a good response. Sounds good, doesn't it? Pray for me. But what was the command? Repent. Right? Repent. This is a deflection answer. It's a deflection answer. Right? He might as well just say, it's not my fault. If you knew my parents, you'd understand why I'm this way. Right? You might as well just answer that way. Pray for me. Right? Peter, you, you pray then. Pray that it won't happen. Instead of, you're right, I'm wrong. I stand before you, humble, asking that God, would you have mercy upon me? No repentance. 
When the call of repentance goes out, there's only one response, right? Repentance. Pray for me is a deflection. Luke is showing us this guy is not there. Look at 25. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now what's happening? The apostles are taking the mission to the Samaritans. It took the Greeks to go out first. They broke the way. Then the apostles followed behind and started preaching on their way back. God knew what he was doing. God knew exactly how to get these apostles out of Jerusalem into Samaria. And it took a conflict within the church. It took them leaving. It took this whole mission to go out to finally get the leaders then to come out and see that the Spirit was intended for for this region. It's a powerful moment. Now, there's three things that I want to point out to you, that, and then then we're going to bring Ambry up here. Three things that I want to point out to you that I think um, are helpful to see. The first thing that I want you to see is that the mission is complex. That's the first thing that I want you to see. It's a complex mission. It really is. The moment you leave the confines of your comfort zone and you step out of that, you're dealing with magic. You're dealing with all this kind of stuff, stuff you're not prepared for, stuff that isn't in the training manuals. It's complex. It's very complex. The moment you say, you know what, I'm going to step out of my world into another world to be salt and light, it opens up a complexity. And I just want you to see that. It's a complex region. It was not an easy place. Samaria was not an easy place to go. They fell into mysticism. They fell into all kinds of crazy teaching. They had their own temple. They had warped teaching about the law of God. It was just a weird place, very hard. The second thing I want you to see is that I want you to understand that it was Philip who went. And why is that important? Philip was not an apostle. Philip was from the body, had a job. God raised him up to be a leader and sent him out. And it took Philip to go out to that region to be the one to break down the walls so that eventually the, the, the apostles would leave and go. I want you to notice that this came out of the life of the church. This mission to Samaria was not led by the apostles. They, they came behind. Hopefully, in your brain, you're catching my little subtle passive-aggressive point there. <laughs> that it came from the body, and the body led the way into the region. It was a powerful thing. Third thing I want you to catch. The only strategy that God used in this was suffering, was problems. That was God's strategy. So think about it. There wasn't a planning meeting. How do we reach the Samaritans? Okay, we're going to have our, you know, S1, S2, and S3 teams, right? Samaritan 1 teams will go in first. They are, they're good with magic. S2 teams will come in second. They're good with prayer. S3 teams, they're good with praying, right? And the Spirit of God, right? It wasn't that kind of strategy. All of a sudden, God dumped a boatload of problems on the church, and that boatload of problems, boom, opened up the mission. Now, does that mean strategy is bad? No. We're going to see later strategy occurred. But what I want to show you, though, is the simple reality that sometimes missions is so messy. Sometimes 
It's so messy that it's driven by circumstances that you think are so disconnected from God. And you can think sometimes it's this situation doesn't have anything to do with God, and yet his hands are so in it. And that some of you might be on the precipice of leading our church to the next step of being salt and light in the world. 